Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Key Grant, episode 288, Seth's Tirade, recorded April 22nd, 2017, and brought to you by Element Opie Productions, elementopie.com. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the only show on the internet where geeks rant. I am your host, Mark, the Sultan of the Soapbox Cockerel, and joining me this week uh, from the past, time travelers, fellow travelers through time, uh, are your friends and mine, Seth, the Gooey Kid Anderson, and Miles, the Aussie Janeer Wakeham. Hello, gentlemen. Hello, one and all, and welcome back. And all Not I can yet. say is any Doctor Who fans out here, don't blink. <laughs> <laughs> um, so if, if you were paying attention to that intro, and you probably weren't, you'll notice that this was recorded uh, roughly six weeks before you're hearing it. Uh, we are taking the month of June off so that our uh, citizen of the world, Miles, can be a world traveler. Uh, and because, you know, it's nice to have some time off. But we didn't want to leave you without content. So we are recording a series of shows, uh, shorter than normal. At least that's the plan. Every time we say shorter than normal, it ends up being a two-hour show, though. Um, and so this week, we're taking the 10-minute tirade format, and we're just going to do a single tirade. It'll be Seth tirade. And the next week, uh, one of us will do one, and the next one's the other one. I'm not going to com- comment on which one, because we haven't planned that out yet. Um, <laughs> and hopefully I got the... Uh, the future prediction of the episode number right. Otherwise, you may be wondering why there's two 288s or why we skipped 287. I don't know for sure. But uh, here we go. Um, but before we go all that uh, far, uh, Seth, since we can't really talk about news and we can't really talk about current events, uh, Seth wanted to talk to us a little bit, uh, wanted us to talk a little bit about our favorite books, what we're currently reading or uh, what what we just finished reading. Now, by the time this airs, I will probably be three or four books away from where I am right now, but I'll talk about what I'm reading right now. But first, Seth, since this is your show, you go first. All righty. Well, the last book I read was... Uh, the Lost Planet, which is number six in the Lost Starship volume uh, series by Von Harper or Hepner, I'm sorry. And you will remember me talking, well, you probably won't, but if you are new to the show, you might know that I talked about the Lost Starship number one a while back. And I really didn't care much for the book. It was slow and it was kind of hard to follow. And I, I didn't, you know, it's the first book I read by him. So I kind of didn't understand his, his style, but since one of the benefits of having a prime membership is you can borrow one Kindle book a month. And so I thought, you know what the heck? I read number one. Let me try number two. And about a third of the way in to book two, the characters that they clicked and it gelled. And I loved, I loved book two, three, four, you know, all of them. And so looking back on book one, you had like an origin story of all of the separate bridge crew members and then so they really don't become a team until book two and so the thing i like what i loved about um like um golly i can't even uh the my one of my favorite series stargate you know one of the things i loved about stargate was the interplay of the team of characters and so that first book when they didn't know each other there was no interplay but now you know their characters and their interplay and so it's something that i very very much enjoy and i'm glad i checked out book two and i currently just finished up book six which is it's not the final one, but it's the latest one in his series. So it's going to be a while before book seven comes out, but I will be reading it. It's um, the premise is there's the main human empire and then some genetically humans, genetically enhanced humans who are like kind of at war with them. And so, but guess what? There's a wider crisis at play. And so they're running around the part, they're part of the galaxy trying to figure out what it will take to save everybody. And you know, of course, you spend most of the book leading up to this climax, and then there's a climax, and then you find out, wait a minute, the, the because they won that round just means they get to go the next round, which is harder. But I really enjoyed it. Um, I'm Turns out I'm really a kind of a fan of his work. The Lost Planet, I know I did not do it justice, but it's what I've been re- – it's the last book I read, and uh, I don't know what I'll read next month, but I think he does a good job of writing. Like I say, book one was weird because – it set the stage for the series. And now knowing that I'm glad I read book one because you understand the background of the characters, but that interplay, that's the hallmark of this series was missing in the first book. And did you say the author of those books? 
Vaughn Hepner, H-E-P-P-N-E-R. And do you remember when these were written, roughly? Uh, this last one was published um, just last year, December 31st. It comes out, I guess, about a book a year. So I would have to go back and figure out when the first one was, which let me click on this. And volume one was as soon as the webpage loads, Awesome Radio. Oh, it was actually published in 2014. So less than a year, six months apiece, I guess. Okay. Um, sounds interesting to me, but you know, Seth, you've burned me before. Our, our tastes are very different. Um, I, I don't know that you would like this one. You probably wouldn't, but I really did. Okay. Um, and so that's the lost fleet lost the starship, lost starship series. series. Yes. Okay. I like long series is, uh, but if you get one free book a month, what do you do for the other 29 days? Well, you know, I mean, I might read other stuff, but I just, the, I wouldn't have paid to read book two, but since since it was already included, I thought, what the heck, I'll give it a shot because a while back, like, I bought about seven or eight different volume ones of series to take with me on Hawaii when I went to Hawaii, but I ended up leaving them all at home. So I think I picked it up one day and read it. So, you know, I mean, I might, I buy other books and I read other stuff, but yeah, I use I, my free ones for this. I just know you're a prolific reader. Um, you read the entire honor Harrington series over a weekend, right? No, no. That was the lost fleet. Series. Oh yes. Yeah. Which, which, Really enjoyed those books, by the way. Um, I'm, this isn't the one I'm going to talk about, but uh, uh, I just finished recently Earth Unaware. It's the prequel of the Ender's Game series, so written well after uh, the original Ender's Game book. Uh, and I felt the biggest weakness of that one was, uh, unlike what you just were talking about, the story didn't end. It just stopped. It was mm -hmm. very clear that he had a two or three book deal, and when he got to you know, a certain stopping point. He's like, ah, oh, that'll do for now. They'll, they'll wait another year for the next one. And when I get there, I, I, I don't have any desire to go back. I, I guess maybe the cliffhanger principle works for some people. Um, but if I don't get a complete story, I just feel, um, betrayed by the author and I'm, I'm not willing to go back again. Yeah. And actually I'm kind of having the opposite effect on, um, David Weber and the honor Harrington series, the shadow of victory book the last book he released was like shadow of thing i've read five times before and it's like i've read i mean there's so much duplicate content across all of his books and so i'm getting almost fed up mm. but of course i mean i'm gonna stay because but he's really kind of just churning out words why use one book when you can use 15 to yeah. tell the same story again so <laughs> all right so the the book series that i'm currently in the middle of uh, i read listen to audible uh you put to put the to the pedant net out there i don't read them i listen to them um uh i i do on average about a book a week uh and i try to alternate fiction nonfiction. um so the book that i'm currently reading is book four of the harry potter series goblet of fire uh i never read a harry potter book i only saw the first of the movies back in 2002 when it first came out uh and it, it occurred to me certainly as i start working with younger and younger people um, as I become the the gray beard uh, among um, uh, the, my peers, uh, there's an entire you know generation of people who grew up with that as an important part of their global culture. It was a global phenomenon, not just an American thing. And I felt that being completely ignorant of that was to misunderstand or to not understand a huge you know billion people essentially. Uh, so I started reading them, and you know. I'm not impressed, honestly. I get that they're children's fiction, and and maybe I had to be a child to uh, to appreciate it. But The Hobbit was children's fiction too, and and I enjoyed that. Uh, and I read it as an uh, as an older, uh, you know, I was a teen. Um, so th I, maybe that's it. Maybe that's not. Maybe I'm just not into the whole wizards and and warlocks thing. You know, maybe that's it. I don't really know why I'm not impressed with it. I can't tell you any one thing like the writing's bad or whatever. It's not. It's it's fine. Uh, it's very predictable. Most of the time, I can predict the end of the book by the second chapter. Um, but I can do that with a lot of books. There's a formula to most books. 
And certainly once you've read the first book in the series, you can generally predict what's going to happen. You know, there'll be a major battle in the third act. One of the important characters will die or be mortally wounded. You know, like you can generally predict certain uh, things that, you know, that are endemic to certain types of stories. Uh, but this, these I find a little more predictable to me. Uh, not once has J.K. Rowling uh, surprised me in three and a half books. But I'm going to keep reading them because uh, culture. So that that's my take on the Harry Potter series. You guys read any of those? No. Nope. No. All right. I mean, there's there's a Harry Potter world at Universal Studios in Florida that people g- go to from all over the world just for that one thing. It's a big thing. Uh, and so I, I kind of feel like I need to, you know, being the armchair sociologist that I am, I feel like I need to be connected to, um, to people, you know. Uh, but anyway, uh, that's that's my thoughts. Miles, your turn. My turn. Well, you guys know Daniel Suarez, right? The author. Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay, so he got a new book out this week, and I say this week knowing that the show's into the future, but this is uh, middle of April, end of April, um, and his book is Change Agent. It's in my, so it's I on got my it. list. I got it, and I'm into it. I'm not through it. I'm halfway. Oh, my gosh. This one's a doozy. Um, so, you know, the, the author's history is pretty good. I mean, he's, he's one of these guys that likes to write about things that are kind of current in technology and project them out five or ten years ahead so that you could look at the impact of social the social impact on things that are current in technologies his first book in 2009 was called demon and it was predominantly about uh kind of 3d video games and how the effect that that would have in a real world and it was a crazy book it was amazing book um and i've kind of read every single thing he's written ever since and so this is the fifth book in that following on. This would be, if Demon was number one, this would be number five. And um, it's touching upon some areas which are kind of a little scary because they're a little too close to home. It's, it's really a book about biohacking uh, and DNA manipulation. And uh, the, the story is set in 2045 and it's set in Singapore. And uh, what's happened in the world is because, you know, there's been all these advancements in DNA, um, there's this need that people have, families that get pregnant, they want to augment their child before they're born at the embryonic stage. And this is apparently internationally bad law. You're not allowed to go in there and biohack an embryo to give it like super intelligence or to be stronger or taller or faster or all these things that they've worked out how to do because it kind of like affects the fabric of humanity and culture and society and everything. But what's happened is because it's now illegal, the ability to do that is out there and it's been put into the hands of the criminal cartels. So now if you want to biohack your upcoming child you don't go to a doctor you go to the dark underworld of you know criminal worlds and stuff and and this book is all about that dark underbelly and how one guy who's in a interpol kind of role who's been tasked to try to weed out these cartels gets kind of caught up in the whole thing um it's really interesting what it does though is it it's one of those books that when, you know, you're reading it because it's a good story, there's parts of it that are a little bit too far out there that you sort of think, nah, that could never happen. But then when you think again, maybe it could. You know, that, that's the nature of Suarez. I mean, that's what he does. He puts a, an idea that could be so fictional out there that you have to think twice and you walk away going, well, I guess that could probably happen. Um, and he does it in this book. Uh, he, he, the whole concept of change agent is that the investigator trying to bring down these criminal cartels, in fact, gets uh, injected uh, in a crowd with a DNA manipulator that literally changes his appearance. Uh, he tries to kill him and he survives it somehow, but he wakes up with a completely new face and body and changed appearance 
to look exactly like the leader of the criminal cartel so that they can kind of turn the tables on him and he goes off running into the, you know, into hiding because they think he's the guy everybody's after. Um, kind of a weird story. <laughs> Is it possible? I don't know. D, I mean, I, you know, I worked in biotechnology for about five years, so I've seen some pretty amazing things that guys in white lab coats can do, and that was 20 years ago. So in current technology, I guess anything's happening, right? I mean, if you can augment an embryo to clone a sheep or to make a, you know, to get rid of, I don't know, some disease uh, in a, you know, in a failed DNA state, what's to say you couldn't change somebody's appearance while they're mid middle of their life? I mean, I don't know. Anyway, that's I'm in the middle of it, so I can't tell you if this is a great or a bad or a, or a you know. All I'm saying is I'm halfway through and I don't feel like I've even started reading it, and that's a good sign for a book for me. So uh, yeah, it's good so far. All right, so that that's change agent you said, right? Change agent, yep. So of Daniel Suarez's work, I've read Demon Freedom and Kill Decision. Uh, I have Kill Decision was good. I haven't read Influx uh, or Change yeah. Agent. See, kill decision is a good example, right? That's like drone swarms. Right. And and you think, oh, that's never going to happen. Uh, what happened at last year's Super Bowl? <laughs> I mean, the whole middle, the, the halftime show was drone swar- uh, swarms. And so you think, well, God, if they're weaponized, right. <laughs> and that's kill decision. But anyway. So I have a question. Are his books, are they like, each standalone or are they like set in the same universe or they're all standalone they're individual stories um they usually are set no more than 50 years ahead of time uh and they're all they all stand on their own so you don't need to see the whole series it's just a that's the type of writer he is and so he just follows the theme so demon and freedom are the two closest linked books uh yes. to one another uh, but they do still stand alone and they both take place in quasi-current day, like no later than maybe 2025, uh, using uh, – and his tech, his tech is solid. Um, he makes a few leaps uh, about things that, that aren't currently on the market yet, but uh, no, nothing that uh, a Sergey Brin or, a, or Bill Gates uh, couldn't probably pay somebody to make. Um, and so the demon is a very, it's often easy to tell an artist's, uh, first book because that's the one they poured the most effort into. It's like a band's first album is always, uh, really amazing because they've spent 10 years on that album and then they've given 10 months to come up with the second one. And that's why we call it the sophomore slump freedom. I felt, uh, had the same kind of problem, uh, as demon. Uh, it, it wasn't as rich a tapestry and then kill decision, um, he took a couple of years, you know, uh, and, and sort of honed his craft a little bit. I enjoyed that one. Uh, I found the characters a little less believable in Kill Decision, and that's why, frankly, I didn't go any farther in the rest of them. I, I wanted to sort of remember Daniel Suarez as he was, not as he was becoming. Yeah, I'm, I'm in Flux, which was the book after Kill Decision. I, that was probably my least favorite of all of his. Um, I mean, I read it, and it was – it was okay, but it was much more like I felt like it was in a Arnold Schwarzenegger kind of Terminator type story. It, it wasn't anything to do with that, but it just had that feeling of a very Hollywood kind of prolific story thing that was more about action that didn't really portray well in a book. It would have been a, maybe a great film, but didn't work in a book. But Change Agents a bit different because it's talking about. Stuff that, you know, really, if, if you think about what the next big thing is in tech, I mean, we're still, we're hardly even touched biohacking and gene manipulation um, and understanding proteins. And it, it, this is going to be the next maybe 10 years worth of wow factor in technology, I think. Uh, so he's, he's very timely. Dude, I, man, that stuff, it just, I think. We just lose something of the uh, the genetic diversity of humanity because then everybody, you know, everybody will want their peop- their children to be taller. You know, they'll want to be stronger. They'll want to be faster. It, you know, everybody wants red hair. The next year, everybody wants brown hair or whatever. And, you know, 
it's cool. It's a great thing for fiction, but dude, I, I don't think we know enough to, you know, Hey, look, if we change this, this happens. But then what about the thing we didn't realize happened until it's too late? So, and yeah. that's, yeah. So I, I, awesome place for science fiction, but it's scary because, you know, one generation science fiction, a lot of times becomes the next generation science fact, you know, think the communicator from star Trek, oh, that, that'll never happen. Right. Yeah. What we, when, when I was working in biotech, um, we had a project that did not get past, I think phase one, maybe phase two clinical trial. When drugs get invented, they go through a multi-phased process before they become a product. And many times we don't hear about the inventions that don't make it through clinical trial. And often they don't make it because there are just small things that need to be modified or there was a certain quadrant of trials that were that had adverse events that were not allowed to, uh, to allow this drug into the market. So a lot of things that were probably viable get pulled. Um, we had a drug that was... We used to call it the fat rat drug. And what it was uh, was a DNA manipulation that would change the way that the human biology would burn fat. And it was based on the study of certain breed of rodent that would never actually get fat. No matter how much it ate, it would never put on weight. And we, had been, we were able to identify what the, um, the genetic... Uh, reasoning for this was and we had created a human ready version of that drug and if that thing had hit the market you know imagine no more weight loss problems yeah i mean it's it, but th this was the mid 90s and we were doing this so if you can do that to a human's body i mean with that everyone would jump on board with it right and that, and if that's the case, then the stuff Suarez talks about in his books are not that out of line. Yeah, uh, watch the movie Gattaca, G-A-T-T-A-C-A. -T -T -A -A. It's a 1997 Ethan Hawke movie, underrated, uh, but it's about this topic. Uma Thurman um, is is the main uh, femme fatale in it. Um, it's about a world where uh, genetic manipulation is the norm, and in fact, uh, the uh, uh, I forget the term that they call them, uh, the, the children of God or something. There's a term like that for people who aren't enhanced. Uh, they are known as invalids. Uh, you're, you're either valid or invalid. And the freeborn people who d haven't been enhanced are invalids. It's the entire society has um, uh, grown up around the expectation that all humanity is perfect. And it's the, the thing that Seth was just talking about. Uh, it's one of my favorite movies that nobody's ever heard of. Um, I encourage you to check it out. Very cool. All right. Now, on with the uh, the rest of the show. And and in true um, 10-minute tirade uh, fashion, we don't know what Seth's going to talk about. He's got 10 minutes to talk about it. We have 10 minutes to discuss it afterward. And that's it. So, one, two, three, hitting the oh, timer. Wait, uh, oh, he's got a stretch. I got a stretch here. Man, <laughs> I don't know why, but I'm so nervous about this one. I really wasn't that nervous about the last one. Look out. All right. So, ready? <laughs> no, it's just like. Uh, and <sighs> go. All right. So here we go. Mr. Trump, let's build that wall. And here is why we need to build a wall to protect the borders and the sovereignty of the United States of America, because a nation has the right to secure its borders. And if you don't believe that, tell me where you live so I can come in your house and take what I want. Maybe I'll leave something in exchange. Maybe I won't. But if you have the right to secure your property or if you expect the government to secure your property because you think it's wrong to own a gun, then if the government has the mandate to secure your property, the government has the mandate to secure its property because in the United States where representative democracy, it's really all my property and it's all your property. And therefore the government that does not protect its borders is not doing its job as a government and it deserves to be swept out of power. So again, for those of you who don't want to build the wall, 
throw away every key you own to lock up everything you own and just leave it open and just think, well, nobody's going to take it. And everybody does the right thing in a perfect society. Everybody does the right thing, but we don't live in a perfect society. And therefore we need to take measures to protect ourselves. Now I want to go back in time in history, which is why most liberal people won't understand this, but in ancient Rome, the height of the Roman civilization was achieved in a period that history has come to refer to as the five good emperors. Well, right smack in the middle of the five good emperors is Hadrian, and he is famous for building a wall. People know of Hadrian's wall in the north of England, um, but it is actually he built walls around the entire empire. He did not build them to keep people out and to keep Romans in and to cut off all contact with society. He built the walls with entry points and exit points, and they were there to regulate trade, to regulate immigration, and to provide for security. So you to build a wall that would keep everything out is your attempt to obstruct. To, ah, I can't remember the word. Sorry. I get, I get going, but it's your attempt to solely the issue and to reduce it to its absurd proposition, which good for you, you know, politics 101, but bad for you. You are not informed on the issue. Go back to Hadrian's walls. There were many entry points. There were many exit points where people could come and go. And it was, but by regulating them, the government was able to tax goods and services, which again, the government has a right to do. They were able to regulate who can come in and who can go out. You know, hey, you're coming in to trade. You've brought goods and services. Come on in. And, you know, when you go out, hey, we get part of your cut. That's what that's what being an immigrant is all about. It's not about keeping everyone out. It's not about anti-immigration. It's anti-illegal immigration. Anyone who could who would circumvent the law they were there illegally and by definition someone who breaks a law is a criminal and people who would go over or around the entryways they have stated that they are a criminal and do not expect them to act like citizens once they're here because they prove they were criminals in how they arrived so another thing it does is it stabilizes the frontier that's yours this is mine you know you know you go up to the wall i know i go up to the wall you can play your crops. I can plant my crops. You know, hey, that potatoes on my property, it belongs to me. It is also a symbol of a symbol of Roman prestige. Oh my gosh, look at how big and vast and wealthy this kingdom is that it can put a wall around its entire domain. Other chieftains have a hard time controlling what's outside of their village. So to recap, we are going to keep, not keep everyone out, but help keep the undesirables out. You regulate um, travel, you regulate immigration, you are able to collect taxes at the port of entry, and it stabilizes the frontier, and it is a symbol of prestige. And listening to all of the arguments from the other side that I have been able to hear, they all come down to one thing. Wah! So my response to your wah is two words, grow up. If you want to maintain what you were given and to grow what you were given, you need to have a safe place to operate from. So the way you provide security is to provide security. You either a hire guards and I don't want to see a million people walking up and down our border to keep it secure, or you build devices to keep your things secure in a house. You maybe put bars on the windows or you put locks on the door. When you put a lock on your door, that lock isn't to keep everyone out of the door. It is so that you can regulate who can come in or who can go out. If you have people who don't know any better, think little children, locks are great. So if you want to keep American citizens from accidentally crossing into Mexico, hey, there's this wall. I won't go past that. I will stay in this country. And that way it provides 
nobody can say, hey, they they came on our property and you owe us a million dollars or whatever. No, it's like they didn't cross the wall. You came over. We have drone footage. Now release them or this means war, whatever. Go down that road if you want to. But the fact of the matter is security is an important function of any ruling authority. Whether that ruling authority is the parents in charge of a household, you know, a governor in charge of a state, a president in charge of a nation. You have to be able to provide security for those that you govern, lest you lose your right and you lose your ability to govern. One of the easiest ways to provide security is you regulate who has access to what you've been entrusted to keep. What better way to regulate who has access than to define the entry points that people can come in or people can go out of. So the easiest way to do that is don't say everybody come through here, build a wall and say, you can't come in unless you come here. If you climb the wall, then whatever, you know, in the extreme case, shoot them, but I'm not advocating that. I don't think rational people who want a wall would advocate that, but by coming over the wall or going under the wall, you have proven you are a criminal. And therefore, you will be judged as a criminal. You will not get a free pass and say, well, okay, they didn't know they were here. No, because the wall says this belongs to us. And if you want to cross over, you have to do so with our permission. And so you have regulated and then that eliminates the whole Illegal immigration equals all immigration because, no, you come through the entryway and you are here legally and then you get the rights of a legal immigrant. You come through some other way. You are here illegally and you are deemed a criminal and has a criminal. You have no rights to protection uh, from any aspect of society. And if you think that people will just be nice if we let them come in. Like I say, send me the address to where you live and unlock your doors, throw away your keys, turn off your security pads and let me come in the house and look around. And I promise I won't take anything. Even if you leave your jewelry sitting on the counter and you leave your bank account information because it's your house, right? Nobody's going to take what you want because you're just nice enough to provide the place to stay. Again, in a perfect society that would work, but every day, time and time again, we are proved beyond a shadow of a doubt that there is enough of society that is not trustworthy, that you must take basic steps to protect yourself and to protect your property and to protect the people entrusted unto you for safekeeping. The minimum way to do that is to provide security. What better way to provide security than build a wall? And therefore, it eliminates what my dad told me this way. All locking a door does is keep an honest person honest. All building the wall will do is keep the honest people honest and let the people know, hey, I'm breaking the law. But And so, therefore, your argument that all illegal immigrants are only illegal because of our Dragonian policies will be thrown out the door. And I yield the remainder of my time to discussion. All right. Um, Well, before we begin the discussion, let me ask a clarifying question. Two clarifying questions. Okay. Um, One, are you in favor of a wall along both our northern and southern borders? Yes. Second, are you talking about a physical brick and mortar wall or some electronic countermeasures or a combination thereof? I am talking about a physical wall. Okay. We now have 10 minutes to discuss. Miles, I'll let you begin. Oh, wait a minute, though. I do need to clarify one thing since you to counter clarify. Hadrian's wall was not, you know, it wasn't so big that it kept out lives, you know, um, other animals but it was big enough that you knew it was wrong to cross it okay go wow (laughs) i I wanted to start with you miles because you are in fact an immigrant to this country yes and i'm kind of the polar and you did it the right way yeah i did cost a lot of time and money but i did um and i live in a border state so i'm constantly crossing the border so I, i yeah this is up close and personal but it's not uh, okay, where do I start? 
Marks, you said the right question. You can't have a border wall on one side and leave the other glaringly open. That's stupid. If you're going to have a wall, you have it on the south, you have it on the north. My question is, how many illegal Canadians are coming into the United States and stealing our stuff? Well, actually, that's not, that's why not I think many, nobody's right? talking about a Canadian wall because they don't really want to be here all that bad. Right. Well, here's the reason why. They've got an economy. They've got a good economy. They've got play- – half the Americans want to go to Canada. I mean, come on. They've got health care. They've got education. They've got beautiful natural resources. Who wouldn't want to go to Canada? Well, guess what? It's exactly the same in Mexico. They've got beautiful beaches, beautiful natural resources. Things are cheap down there. It's a great place to visit. I, I'm one of those people that believes a human right would be to travel without restriction and that we should be allowed to go between countries without restriction. The problem is that we live in a world of diametrically opposed cultures and economics. And the problem with the, the reason why we need some level of security between the United States and Mexico is because of the vast difference in wealth from one side to the other. And clearly those that do not have want to go to the place where those have. Because that's, you know, that's where the money is, right? That's where the jobs and the opportunities are. That's what brought me to the US. So I get that. But putting a wall up, it doesn't make sense. Because, look, people, the illegals that are here in this country, most of them didn't come across an unboarded wall borderline. They didn't do what you see on TV and they're all running across the desert. They got on a plane, they came over here and they overstayed their visa. That's all they did. They didn't cross the, you know, these are illegals from Ireland, from Germany, from Lithuania, they're from Iceland, they're from South Africa. They're just as illegal here as the Mexicans. It's just that the Mexicans couldn't afford a plane ticket. Well, I shouldn't say that because many of them could afford a plane ticket, came here and overstayed their visas. How are you going to stop that with a wall? The, the wall is, is, is an illusion. It doesn't work unless you have one on the north, one on the south, and one around each coastline and a big fleet of naval ships out there to intercept any kind of boat people coming in from the Pacific Rim. It doesn't work. So if let me, let me defend Seth a little bit for what I think he said based on his last statement there. I think Seth is in favor not of an impenetrable fortress, but of very clearly marked borders. Is that is that? But we have that. We have that. And there are places I, I've crossed. There are places where it's it's easy to not know you're in a different place. Okay. Okay. But I, again, I, I, I'll, okay, I'll Miles, go with that. You are per, you are expecting the wall isn't the end all be all. It is merely a step in securing the border. And again, it doesn't prevent crossing. It regulates the crossing in a way that is lacking today. So, okay, yeah, but I still, I still, uh, no, I appreciate what you're saying. And, and, and look, I understand it. It's a natural reaction to that situation. If you, if you don't remember, though, that the majority of illegals in this country came in and overstayed their visa and they landed at airports. So that's the problem. How do you, if, if we have visa waiver programs with dozens and dozens of countries that those people can for 90 days that without a visa they can get on a plane they can fly into the united states we have reciprocal agreements to allow us to do the same i can go to europe travel all through the eu and not have to get a visa and in, and in, they can do the same they can come here and do the same thing the problem is when they land it's on good faith that they'll leave within 90 days if they choose not to there's not like ice running around trying to chase and find them and, and they don't have like a, a, a footprint that they leave. They're not like on probation where they've got to check in every week with a probation officer. They're tourists and they just don't leave. And then for the Canadians, they don't need to come in and out because they've got a good economy on their side. My, my um, response to a wall is it would be better for us to invest in our neighbours' economies and reduce the need for them to even want to come here because they've got a lot on their own side. And then in doing so, we create a destination spot for us to go to. And I think that was the whole concept of NAFTA. It's just been given so much bad press and there's so many 
false statements in the media as to what's good and bad about it, the reality is if their economy is solid, it's not only good for them, it's good for us because we can go there. I'd love to go to Acapulco and lie on the beach and do it, you know, for a hundred bucks. But but if I can't do that and I've got to pay thousands of dollars to to go to Miami or to go to you know, I don't know, Puerto Rico or somewhere like that because they don't have those same immigration restrictions, that's not beneficial to me. I, I wanna I want free tra- travel. I mean, I don't know. Anyway, that, that's my that's where I stand. Okay, Mark, before you go, I want to say good job, Miles, on taking what I said, changing the subject, and then getting your <laughs> on view as an opposing view. Good job of debating there. Well, so that was my rebuttal. <laughs> okay. Come on. I'm trying for the fireworks, guys. you got to help me out. So, no, he's time. doing great. He's really doing great. <laughs> I've, I've got about three minutes left here of this discussion, so I'm not going to be able to give my full thoughts on it. Um, I will say that I think that a physical structure spanning an entire border uh, for a country the size of America is is a ridiculous waste of money. Um, it's not a good investment. I am not in favor, uh, as Miles says, of, of federal investment in foreign economies. Um, I am in favor of allowing uh, a greater freedom for American citizens to make private investments in foreign economies. I'm fine with that. Uh, but I think that Investing a billion dollars in Mexico's infrastructure would be a better way to spend tax money than building spending a billion dollars on a wall that's uh, unmaintainable and unpatrollable. Uh, so I think that's stupid. Um, an electronic version of a wall, uh, countermeasures, clear markings. I I think that's reasonable and intelligent to 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 go across all thousands of miles and say. This this side is one sovereign state. This side is another sovereign state. Once you cross it, be known that you have done so. Um, and I, I think that we could spend a little more time and effort on that. Uh, patrolling it, I think, is um, just unmaintainable. Uh, unless we're going to have maybe prisoners do it or something like that, some sort of slave labor force. I just don't think you're going to pay enough border patrols to do it. So with two minutes left, those are my uh, abbreviated thoughts. Seth, what's your what's your response? Well, a response to that, investing in foreign lands is okay, but we recently have a place in Venezuela where Venezuela came in and nationalized the GM plant. So all of the investment by a American corporation into a foreign government was just simply taken away with a stroke of a pen. And so why would I want to risk investing when something like that could happen to me? And by building a secure, maintainable wall, you make it where the patrolling isn't as isn't as necessary because you have things like drones and security cameras and things like that that provide a better first line of defense where you're not having to sweep you know vast instances of desert you can just you know motion sensors or whatever to alleviate that so again that's just my thoughts so well, counter rebuttal in, in a very quick response to that first part if i knew that i could spend money in mexico's economy and not pay american sales tax on it that would be uh, an investment. It would be no loss to the U.S. It would be an investment to the Mexican economy and would be a better thing for the global economy. Miles, you got 40 seconds. Yeah, that's, that's what I do. I spent, in the last month, I've spent $5,000 in Mexico. That money did not go into the U.S. economy. It did not support U.S. jobs. It doesn't create U.S. tax. It went straight into Mexico. And that's because I'm a free market anarcho-capitalist. But if you were going to build so, a business there, you'd be expected to pay taxes on that because you're an American citizen. Oh, yeah, yeah absolutely. So that's how the government absolutely. could help without taking a punch. Right. All right. Well, there's 10 seconds left. And one of the things I love about the 10-minute uh, tirade format is it leaves tension. It's, it, it doesn't resolve everything. What do we think? I don't know because our time's up. All right. Now, by the rules of the engagement, we have to continue on. Seth, what happened this week in history? All righty. So this week in history, June 7th, 1954, World War II Enigma buster Alan Turing commits suicide. Um, Alan Turing, a computer science pioneer and one of the secret code breakers working at Britain's Birchley Park during World War II, killed himself by eating an apple containing cyanide. 
Turing convicted of or conceived the idea to create a machine that would turn processes into binary numbers. The concept was that a series of ones and zeros read from a tape could describe the steps needed to solve a problem or task. Turing also helped Britain in World War II by deciphering encrypted German communications, giving the Allies critical information about enemy intentions throughout the rest of the war. Sadly, in 1952, Turing was taken to court because he was gay. At the time, at the time, a legally punishable offense. When Turing's relationship with a young Manchester man was discovered, he was threatened with jail. Instead, he agreed to estrogen injections for a year in an attempt to curb his libido. He was also denied work at GCHQ, the successor to Bletchley Park, because of his sexual orientation. Two years after his conviction, he took his life. That happened this week in history. And that's what happens. Go ahead. That was in a movie, right? The, just recently. Yeah, the a, a very Benedict, loosely based Benedict movie. Benedict Cumberbatch. Yes. Yeah, right. Uh, the, the, the English government has apologized to um, the survivors of Alan Turing. Uh, obviously, he had no children, but he had other family. Um, they've gone on record as saying what we did was wrong uh, and... Uh, we apologize for having wronged uh, this great leader. Um, it's easy to look back with 60 years between us, 70 years between us in that event, uh, and say that uh, it was a terrible thing and it was wrong. But at the time, the majority of the people in the country he lived believed that um, the act of being gay, not even acting out in a gay way, being gay, uh, was a crime worth prison. Um, Sad, but true. And still the case in Russia, I believe. Yeah. I mean, if if you go to certain, you know, uh, Middle Eastern countries, you will be executed uh, summarily for that same crime. It is a crime in a lot of the world. Whether you think that's right or not, I'm not even going to go there. But the fact is that uh, at that time, it was a crime. uh, And a man who could have done great things... Um, you know, uh, ironically, it was just after the 10th anniversary of D-Day that he took his life. Um, a man who had much more to give, uh, had his life essentially taken from him. Uh, he didn't, he did it on his own, but he was driven to it. Uh, that's sad. Makes me sad. But yep. what a contribution. Yes, absolutely. He, he was, he was one of the true rare minds. I mean, um, the 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 World War Two would have continued much longer had we not had it not been for his work and the work of his uh, uh, coworkers there at Bletchley Park because they broke the unbreakable code uh, and didn't tell anybody. That's the secret. That's how that's how you make use of codes because as soon as you make it clear that you broke a code, you change the code. You let your enemy continue to think the code is still active, and then you surreptitiously. Um, act upon it, which means sometimes you have to let people die knowing they're going to die because you've broken the code. But if you pro, if you stopped it, they would know you broke the code. I, I can't imagine the strain and the stress that the leaders at the time went under were under as a result of that. Yeah, I mean, you know, back then though, you had depending on how much you know, you could have a derelict ship out there or a lightly crewed ship that you knew was going to be attacked. So I don't know. But yeah, it, that would be very hard. So yeah, I don't know. Anyway, sad day in history yeah. this week. But uh, let's not remember the way he died, but remember what he did while he lived. Uh, amazing contribution to, I mean, the the last episode as of the recording date was called the Turing Test. No, two weeks ago it was the Turing Test. We we still use his name uh, all over the place. He he's, he will be remembered for much more than having committed suicide. Um, and that's the way it should be. And now, yeah. Seth, uh, well, I, uh, yeah, okay. Uh, I, let me say that how you can contact us. We're not listening right now <laughs> because we're <laughs> off for this month. But do go ahead and stockpile those comments. I'm sure that Seth has fired off uh, a string of comments um, uh, as a result of this. I look forward to reading them when I get back from the beach. Uh, so, elementopi.com, uh, click the Contact Us button. By the way, that site is back up and running. Yay. Um, Woohoo! Uh, believe it or not, it was entirely the the web hosting company's fault. Who knew? Um, no way. Know, it was not surprising. Them. Um, Could it be? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, uh, 
elementop.com, click the contact us button, send an email to uh, geekrant at elementop.com or dial 559-IMOP. It'll be a while before we play that one on the show uh, if you send it now, but we look forward to hearing to it. Now, Seth, what do you have to lower my productivity thus making you look like a better, better hiring option? Okay, this one has legs. So this is how to type like a hacker. So you go to this URL, you click on it, and then just whatever keys you press, it starts to print out or it starts to insert text on a screen that looks like programming. And so, you know, you could easily prank this somehow, copy the code. I don't know what you could do, but it could look funny. And, you know, if if your boss saw you typing this stuff, depending on your job, you could be fired. Um, no questions asked. But anyway, it's hackertyper.com. You just go there, and like I say, as you hit keys, it doesn't matter if you hold the one key down forever. It just begins to print out nefarious-looking code uh, on a web page. Oh, this is funny. Yeah, the code is gibberish uh, for the most part. (laughs) But if you're not a coder, you wouldn't know that. Right. Is it... It's. It's not C++. It's not JavaScript, is it? No. It's Python-esque in that you're, well, no, I, I don't know. You're declining, deferring, declining variables in a way that's sort of C-ish. Uh, yeah, kind of without all the voids. And, <laughs> oh, yeah, no, there's voids. Okay. Mm, oh, yeah, and if you use your C, backspace, yeah. it will delete the text, so. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what do, do the control I and the... Uh, Things work. Control I says thinkgeek.com. Does it really like go there? Does I mean, I have a. Um, it does. It like launches a, a website. Locker. Okay. So there you go. So I, I hit control <laughs> I for iPhone 6S and it brought up an Amazon purchase page for the iPhone 6S. Control P for Amazon Prime. <laughs> That's funny. Control B for Bitcoin takes me to coinbase.com. That's funny. <laughs> and it's got naturally, it's got his referral link built in there. So when I go to Coinbase, it says, Stephen invited you to try Coinbase. <laughs> oh, well, that's pretty cool, Seth. So, you know, <laughs> I, I tried. I thought this one, you know, this could be, you could do some pranks on somebody with this possibly if you were so inclined. But I thought it was cool. Totally. Very cool. Yeah, I don't I don't have the kind of job where I could get away with this. If, if they saw me typing code, they would know it was um, not for work, even if it was legitimate code. But uh, I, I love I love this. It's it's very clever. Um, all right, that's it. That's our promised short show, which is like an hour. <laughs> it's just crazy how we can take anything. <laughs> we had a twenty minute format, ten minutes rant, ten minute response, twenty minute format. We made it fifty minutes and and counting. Well, uh, we did the book reports. I mean, that was. That was yeah. there too. We're, we're amazing in our ability to talk for a long time about nothing. Way back in 2010, when we first started the show, I remember Chris asking, how are we going to talk for an hour? Yeah, this would have been a long show. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right, that's it. Thanks for hanging out with us. We'll see you when we get back uh, in July. Uh, but that's it for this episode of The Geek Rant. Geek Rant.